Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Michael Valente, Associate Professor of Surgery and Program Director for the Cleveland Clinic Colorectal Surgery Residency Program. He's here today to talk to us about peritoneal malignancies in their treatment. So welcome, Michael. Thank you, Dr. Shepard. Glad to be here. So maybe to start, you can give us a little background on what's your role here at Cleveland Clinic? What do you do? Yeah, I've uh, been here for about 10 years. Uh, came here right out of fellowship. I'm actually born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, so I didn't have to travel too far. Uh, to get here. As you said, I'm the program director for the fellowship, one of the oldest and largest fellowships in the country for colorectal surgeons. And as you mentioned, I'm leading the um, HIPEC division, essentially, of the colorectal department where we uh, perform that operation. And I'm also recently just started up and heading the Center for Metastatic Colorectal Cancer as well here at the Cleveland Clinic. So mostly cancer-related operations, but we do a little bit of all colorectal surgery, as most of my partners do. Okay. So we'll, we'll cover some of those topics in a little more detail. So on an earlier episode of this Cancer Advances podcast, we talked to Dr. Uh, Robert D. Bernardo about high-pec treatment for gynecologic cancers. So maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit about uh, this and its application for, you know, appendiceal or colorectal. And, and maybe since we have a really broad audience, um, maybe remind everyone, like, what is HIPEC and then um, a little bit more about that application. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. And uh, Dr. DiBernardo, as you mentioned, leads the gynecological oncology portion of the HIPEC. And what HIPEC uh, means to refresh is hyperthermic intraperitoneal chemotherapy. And that is um, used when we do what we call a cytoreductive surgery or um, peritoneal stripping procedure. So the, the chemotherapy part is called the HIPEC. And the gynecological realm is dealing with uh, mostly ovarian tumors and some other uh, tumors of the, of the uterus. But uh, from, from the HIPEC beginnings, it started with colorectal surgery since it's, since it's in the inception. And essentially, um, it kind of went away for a while from colorectal surgery, and it was mostly being used for uh, low-grade appendiceal tumors. You've heard of pseudomyxoma. Uh, or the jelly belly, people may call it, where there's mucinous tumors. And, and that's where HIPEG really became kind of the standard of the care for that particular low-grade neoplastic condition, what we call low-grade appendiceal mucinous neoplasms. Um, and then about the last 10 years or so, things have come back towards colorectal malignancies, um, where, you know, a vast, uh, excuse me, not a vast majority, but a large number of patients have peritoneal disease as their only site of metastasis. About 4 to 5% of all colorectal patients who have metastasis will be just to the peritoneal cavity. And those are the people that we really are focused on for the cytoreductive surgery and HIPEC. Those are the folks that we think we could achieve the most benefit. But uh, those, are the, those are the folks that we're, we're, we're targeting for this. When we think about this, this 4 to 5%, it's not very many patients. So it's important, of course, that people realize that we're back doing this. Let's just start with that. How do we get the word out to, to people? Great, uh, great point. And it, it's interesting because um, cytorectal surgery, HIPEC, is immensely popular in Europe, in Europe um, South America as well, Middle East. Um, they've been doing it for colorectal cancer for quite some time, as some institutions in, in the United States have as well. 
But uh, almost very similar to the gynecological literature, there's been some good papers, some good retrospective, and a few prospective trials over the last five, seven years that have shown clear benefit for cytoreductive surgery and HIPEC. And there's been some papers that said maybe the HIPEC's really not showing a benefit. So right now, it, there's kind of two schools of thought with, with the cytoreductive surgery and HIPEC. Everyone agrees that debulking surgery, the cytoreductive part, is by far the most important aspect of this procedure. And there's ongoing trials and studies looking if the addition of the chemotherapy is also giving some benefit. And I think, how do you get the word out? I think it starts with, you know, patients even knowing that it's an option. You'll be surprised. Many, many patients come to me and said, no one ever even talked about that with me as an option. And and they may not be a candidate, but at least they know about it and, and, and seek our you know, expertise to see if they might be a candidate. And besides the patients, I think uh, getting the medical oncology community aware of it as well as a potential treatment, um, something that we have in our toolbox to maybe help certain patients. But I also want to stress, you know, as you talked about, not a large percentage. It's a very highly select group of patients that we're we're looking at uh, for this. So I think general knowledge that it exists and as I said, not many centers are doing it. So there's a, a small group of us who get together and talk about things and publish papers. And, you know, I think knowledge is the first step. We think about uh, clearly HIPEC more frequently on the MedOnc side. And like you said, with the appendiceal tumors, they kind of stay in the, in the abdomen. Or like with the gynecologic tumors, they kind of stay in the, it's much more of a peritoneal disease. Is there some thought about, you know, people with limited disease in the liver, for instance, um, doing combined sorts of therapies like ablate the liver lesions and do HIPEC and maybe increase the benefit to more patients? Traditionally, we've uh, anything extra peritoneal disease has, has always been kind of, you know, a no-go, but that has kind of changed with some of the more recent uh, advances in, in stage four treatments in general, especially liver, sometimes lung as well. But liver, if you have a patient with both liver metastases and peritoneal metastases, that patient could theoretically undergo a, a, a cytoreductive surgeon HIPEC and either a combination of uh, maybe some wedge resections of liver and or ablation. Generally speaking, they kind of reserve that for very low volume disease of the liver. And in addition, it'd be a moderate to low volume of, of disease in the peritoneal cavity as well. And in some publications state up to three to four liver resections or wedges uh, with the HIPEC. Now, I will tell you that is not a common uh, situation. I mean, it is common to have both, but to take them to HIPEC is not exactly very common, but we have definitely done it here in the very select individuals. So, but I do think, as you mentioned, with some more um, new technologies, ablation techniques, uh, I think we could have these patients hopefully live much longer uh, with these new treatments. And And what's the current role for systemic therapy, like in an adjuvant setting for someone who has had a debulking, had the HIPEC, you've sort of treated that intra-abdominal disease. Um, what's the role at this point for adjuvant therapies to minimize risk for spread? I wish I could give you an awesome answer to that, but no one knows for sure. Um, I will say the, the vast majority of patients will have already been on chemotherapy before we get to the HIPEC. So peritoneal metastases come in two different shapes and sizes. One is, you know, synchronous and metachronous. And, and actually two-thirds present with a 
say, a right colon cancer with synchronous peritoneal involvement, some of those patients could go directly towards cytoreactive surgery and HIPAC. But, but I would say in our experience, the vast majority of patients that we're seeing are, are metachronous. They've had chemotherapy. They had their primary tumor taken out. It's a year later, two years later, maybe four years later, five years later, and now they have peritoneal disease. So now we get into a situation, they've been off chemo for a while. Those folks, we would put back on chemotherapy for a good three or four months, re-CAT scan them, try to understand how much disease there truly really is in there. And then if they get to the point where they do the high-pec procedure, they don't go back on chemo right away for the most part. And that's something that we're looking at uh, moving forward is going to be you know, time off chemotherapy with these folks. And I think that's something that's really important for us and for the patients to, to know. So in our experience, to answer the question, the vast majority do not go back on chemotherapy after surgery initially, at least for three to six months. Now, obviously, there's going to be some patients who have a large burden of disease. Things may or will come back at certain points, and then they would go back on chemotherapy at that point, yes. But we are going to look at that time off chemo. I think that's critically important to understand for this group of patients. Yeah, you did mention not having an awesome answer, which usually that means there's an awesome research question. So uh, exactly. what, what sort of things are we uh, are we doing on a research side uh, related to HIPEC? Yeah, I know you talked to Rob and he's got a great setup, uh, Dr. DiBernardo, um, with animal models, you know, looking at uh, how, how the chemotherapy and how the heat's really working. Um, I'm, I'm helping with that, with those endeavors as well. And we have one of our new new surgical oncology staff, Dr. Dan Joyce, who also joined us. He was a resident here, and he's going to be helping out with that as well. And really, some of the, the new things is we don't really know which chemotherapy agent really works the best for each patient. We, don't, we know the heat, and the, the hot, the cytotoxic effects of heat works well. Is it a combination of the heat and the chemotherapy? There's a lot of different... Uh, avenues to explore with this right now throughout the world. One thing that has sparked a lot of interest in the European literature is, and I'll briefly talk about it, it's called PIPAC or pneumatized pressurized intraperitoneal chemotherapy. So instead of doing liquid chemotherapy, we instill uh, high pressure aerosolized chemotherapy for those folks who maybe need some downstaging or even for a palliative approach. Unfortunately, that's not FDA approved in the United States right now, but there is a phase one trial that's currently being uh, undertaken um, in a few centers in the United States. So there's there's a lot of opportunity right now um, on the scientific and the bench side. Um, and, and mostly what we do here is obviously looking at our outcomes of, you know, recurrence rates. Uh, we're looking at time off chemotherapy. That's one of our big projects right now and trying to trying to take a look at those numbers because those that's really what's important as well to the patients is you know how much longer can i live with this is this curable and do i have to go back on chemotherapy so those are the, some of the clinical questions we're looking at so i guess to, for uh the physicians that might be listening in and maybe not have considered um this in the past who who would be the ideal patient they should send your way so obviously in our opinion anyone with peritoneal disease should be evaluated by someone who has expertise in peritoneal malignancies. If that means a consult with the surgeon or at least a medical oncologist who has some good knowledge of, of the peritoneal-based cancer, then I think that that's, that's key. If we don't know about the patient, we'll never get enough candidates for it. But with that being said, the key to high-pec surgery and cytorectal surgery is getting the patients with the least amount of disease possible. And how do we do that? Well, the medical oncologist may know that a bit from the 
CAT scans that are performed or the MRIs or the PET scans. But I will tell you that CAT scans, MRIs, and PET scans are about 75% good at picking up peritoneal disease. Anything less than a centimeter, you can't even see it on those modalities. So very often, CAT scans may show nothing for many years, then something pops up. Those patients should definitely be seen. And one of the first things we do with those patients is do a diagnostic laparoscopy to take a look inside the abdomen to see if they're truly a candidate for further treatment, meaning surgery. And if they're not, we get them back to chemotherapy or back on treatment as soon as we can. So every patient who has peritoneal disease should, in my opinion, be at least considered for the next step. Very good. You mentioned the Center for Metastatic Colorectal Cancer. Tell me a little bit about that. What's, uh, what's that about? This is something that is uh, a brand new center that uh, the Department of Colorectal Surgery has kind of uh, developed. And um, it draws folks, surgeons, medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, liver surgeons, thoracic surgeons, gynecological oncologists, neurosurgeons, orthopedic uh, and, uh, and, of course, in all the ancillary services. And, and it really brings together all of the uh, care providers who have been pr- providing care for these uh, metastatic or stage four colorectal cancer patients. And essentially, um, it's taking everyone from all the different divisions and departments that we have in the digestive disease and toxic cancer center and bring it under one umbrella, one roof to kind of give the, 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 whole, the whole treatment to each individual patient. Because as we know, stage four or, or, or advanced disease colorectal cancer is so different in so many different ways that, you know, peritoneal metastasis is one, a lung uh, metastasis versus a liver or combination. They're all very, very different. Um, you know, bony metastasis, et cetera, the use for gamma knife for neurological things. So we're just trying to bring all of these great expertise and, and, and bring them together under one roof, uh, collaborate, work on, you know, prospective research, looking at retrospective research as well, kind of bringing all of our collective efforts under one roof to, to get the best possible care for patients with advanced disease. And is that uh, translated into um, any difference in multidisciplinary clinics or anything? So, uh, great question. We, we have been having uh, some good multidisciplinary clinics I think our multidisciplinary clinics have resulted in forming a center, maybe the other way around, because we've been doing a good job with that the last uh, few years with the Tosic Cancer Center, where we have you know, colorectal cancer surgeons, medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, all at the same time. And that's kind of what we want to do with the center. If you come in to see us with uh, a colorectal primary and you have a lung metastasis, you should see the group. You should see someone like myself, a thoracic surgeon medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, they're doing some amazing things with lung lesions and SBRT or external radiation. So really the the point is to try to get folks in to see the whole team and kind of have a a good roadmap moving forward. And how is this uh, translated into changes in tumor boards and that sort of interaction as well? Tumor board has become a Believe it or not, more robust and even <laughs> it's it's uh, we've had to add more tumor boards because there's more more cases coming in of different complexity, and I think you know one thing about you know I, like I said I've been here for ten years and and I've been some other places for training and the collaboration between the departments is so great here and people are so energetic to get together and, and work on these difficult cases and 
I think it's been a great collaboration thus far. We're, we're, we're pretty in our infancy, you know, it's only been a few months since we started. But um, as I said, it's everything we've always been doing, just bringing it all together now under one, under one home. And of course you uh, have only, you're in your infancy and it's, it's relatively new in an era of a pandemic. And so that of course would present challenges. Um, how, how has that affected patients and their access to getting multidisciplinary opinions? Has it improved thanks to virtual visits? Um, is it less uh, likely they get opinions because they, uh, they don't seek the, those opinions? What, what's the world look like now? Now things are, I think, stabilizing a bit in terms of access. Um, I know a few points on this. I know, you know, from a colorectal standpoint, some folks are obviously missing colonoscopies and missing some of their screenings and uh, maybe not following up with some imaging, which did have an impact, of course, with, you know, cancer rates, maybe recurrence rates, lack of getting proper treatment. But I think that is turning around. People are getting out and getting their examinations and screening colonoscopies. Now, in terms of, for my particular practice, virtual visits have been great um, in a way, uh, in multiple ways. During the pandemic, of course, travel was minimized. And so I was able to get to a large group of patients from all over the country, uh, some international patients as well, of course, you know, who were looking for a consultation for uh, cytorective surgery or HIPEC or stage four recurrent cancer. So I, I think that the virtual platform has enabled to reach more patients and to at least, you know, save them a trip coming in across the country or even from two hours away, we could talk and, and get a good understanding of if maybe you will be a good candidate for, for surgery. Or, you know what, we need to get a liver surgeon involved. Let me set up a, a virtual with them. And it's very convenient for the patients. Very nice. Um, it's great for the patient who's undergoing chemotherapy in Indiana who wants to get an opinion and you know, it takes time to travel, and, and it's, it's it's really, really good. Um, I think things are starting to turn around, but I do think virtual visits are something that I definitely would like to keep moving forward, that's for sure. I mean, certainly in something specialized like HIPEC, it, it, it provides that opportunity to so many more people who may not have had the opportunity in the in the past, so that's, that's great. Absolutely. And so that's good to, good to hear that that uh, will continue to be pursued. Where would you like things to go? What are the biggest gaps? Where are the biggest barriers? How do we make the next big step? Yeah, I, I would love that I could come to work and maybe just treat hemorrhoids and anorectal conditions and have no cancer to operate on. That'd be fantastic. So, you know, we could get there a couple different ways is, you know, obviously screening. Everyone got a colonoscopy and let's, let's prevent colon cancer from starting um, to begin with, you know, obviously working on dietary lifestyle changes isn't important. Now, in terms of what's on the horizon for what we're doing here, I think a lot of it's going to be what you do, Dr. Shepard, is going to be medical advances in, in treatments, you know, immune therapy, things that really, et cetera, things that are really going to uh, take the stage for a patient and prolong life, maybe cure, maybe situations where, you know, patients who've had their tumor out for five, six years, now they've been you know, making this a chronic condition where maybe something like cytorectal surgery or HIPEC may never be needed. But if it is needed, um, it, it would be in conjunction with good chemotherapeutic immune therapy agents, which would, you know, once again, make this more of a chronic lingering disease than a, uh, uh, than a, than a life-ending disease. That, that's, that would be my hope is I don't get to operate anymore. That'd be great. Uh, I love operating, but not for cancer. It'd be, it'd be great to get that get that out. Yeah, that's great. So 
certainly appreciate that insight on HIPEC. And um, to refer your patient for a HIPEC consultation, you can call the Referring Physician Hotline at 855-733-3712. Again, that's the Referring Physician Hotline, 855-733-3712. So um, I, I certainly appreciate all your insights, all your hard work in this area. Uh, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Dr. Shepard. My pleasure. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash canceradvancespodcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.